Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. The second scripture is Mark 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tested by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. The word of the Lord. It was short. It was. It was. Enough time to get a sip of coffee, though, so thanks, Enoch. All right. Would you all, I feel like we've just been praying together, but, you know, it's never bad to kind of center ourselves a little bit, so would you all pray with me for a moment? God of all creation, you are present in the wilderness providing shade and rest, comfort and light. Fill us anew with your spirit and make a way where there wasn't a path before. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I was six when I wrote my first song. It was entitled, The Little Boy Who Fell in the Weeds. (laughs) My grandparents lived on this, this house with acres of land. Some of it was farmed, and then there were these huge swaths that was really wilderness. A deep valley with a creek and cattails, and yes, it's creek, but we called it a creek. That is just how it is in southern Minnesota. You had my grandparents' backyard, which was always beautifully mowed, of course. And at the point of wilderness, right, where the the mowing line ended, that's where the terrain immediately changed into an unknown space full of peril, or so I was told, right? It was drilled into me very early that you can play in the yard, but you don't go past the mown grass. Sometimes I'd edge right up to it, of course, being a kid, but inevitably a garter snake would slide out right there, or a bird would come out out of the brush, and it would startle me, and it would send me back closer to home. So my six-year-old self put those fears to music as I sang, strumming my mom's guitar, which was far too big for me at the time, with a very southern country twang, which I guess it was southern Minnesota, but (laughs) it was this cautionary tale about a young boy who wanders off into the wilderness at grandma's house. He falls into the weeds among the tall cattails, and he's never to be seen again. The wilderness can be a perilous place, full of the unexpected, full of potential danger. But wilderness can be a place of deep beauty and connection as well, connection to our creator. We might also consider the word wilderness as a place of solidarity with others, affinity with folks who have been cast out of whatever dominant group. But for our purposes today, we're going to look at the idea of biblical wilderness which is both 
a physical and an internal reality. So words translated as wilderness um, occur about 300 times in the Bible. So a formative memory of, of the Hebrews are the years of wandering in the wilderness, mixing experiences of both wild landscape, of searching for a promised land, and encounters with God. And throughout the Old and New Testament, imagery depicts this uninhabitable land, wild fields, desert, impassable land, land without water, isolated places. And the wilderness played an important role in Jesus' life here, as we saw in our scripture passage today. In verse 12 and 13, And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tested by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Dr. Marcus Hall describes wilderness in the Bible this way. It's a locale for these intense experiences of a stark need for food and water, like manna and quail for the Israelites. It's a place of isolation where Elijah listens and hears the still small voice. It's a place of danger and divine deliverance in Hagar and Ishmael. It can be a place of renewal, of encounters with God, Moses and the burning bush, the revelation of the divine name, I am Mount Sinai. There's the psychology as well as a geography of wilderness, a theology that we gain in the wilderness. So in scripture, we see it's a literal and a figurative place representing deep need and danger and new encounters. And for Jewish history, the wilderness is a moment of reflection, of transition, of reckoning with the divine. This morning, we consider wilderness as this spiritual reality, this liminal space where we realize our old categories, our plans, our beliefs have crashed and burned. Spiritual wilderness is found in all sorts of places. You find it sometimes standing graveside and watching them lower the casket of someone you love. The wilderness can be found when you're holding the hand of a parent as you watch the chemo drugs drip into the IV. The wilderness comes when again you see that test strip read not pregnant. It might be found in the phone call that you didn't get the job or the place to live. The wilderness can happen when we're cast out of family systems or ghosted by friends. And the wilderness can be found late at night and in the wee hours of the morning when those questions linger. So I'm going to open us up for a little vulnerability. When you've been, if you've ever been in a spiritual wilderness, what are the pressing questions that come up for you? What are those questions that you just can't let go of? or can't let go of you? Why me? What next? Mm -hmm. How long? Yeah. Where is God? What was I made for? Yes, Marvin. I've often wondered, why can't I hear you, God, as I did before? 
Are you there? Do you care? How will I make it through this? Mark's gospel is short on details. I love Mark. He's just like really to the point. He just like gets it done. I could use a little more brevity like Mark in my life. It's short on those details about Jesus' experience in the wilderness, and it makes me have so many questions, right? Like, what happened out there? Where did he sleep? What did he eat? Did he find delight in the animals around him? Was he afraid? Was he thirsty? Mark doesn't give us those answers. And someday, when Jesus and I are sitting around that campfire in the life that is to come, because there will be a campfire with, like, singing for all of eternity, right? I'm going to ask him those things. But for now, what we do see in Scripture is that Jesus was tested in the wilderness, that he was companioned by the wild beasts, and that he was cared for by angels. So this testing, this temptation that he finds in the wilderness, you see, Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River. He had just had this moment where the heavens were opened The spirit descends upon him like a dove and the very voice of the divine who spoke creation into existence says, you are my beloved. I am so proud of you. Then Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the spirit. And again, so many questions. How does this this take place? Is Jesus sensing the spirit nudging him that he needs to go do this? Maybe I like to imagine kind of this like supernatural shove or this like dove that's back kind of yanking on his collar. Probably didn't have collars then. I don't know. Okay. What was taking place there? As Reverend Debbie Thomas puts this so aptly that the story, oddly enough, can feel a little comforting because it rings true. We don't We don't choose to enter the wilderness, right? We're not like, oh boy, let's sign up for pain and loss and danger and terror. (laughs) But the wilderness happens anyway, right? Jesus doesn't choose this path and he's there nonetheless. So I imagine Jesus Jesus in the wilderness. And I'll just say as an aside, I just do, I cannot really use the word Satan. Like, I just, I don't. Or if I use it, it's got to be in the church lady voice, and that's probably not very helpful for, like, for our purposes today. So I'm going to talk about Satan as that which is not God. So the voice which is not God, okay? I imagine Jesus in the wilderness, and the voice that is not God surfaces with words attempting to destroy the thing that Jesus just encountered. Words like, you're an imposter, You are not God's child. You are not beloved. You don't need God. You could have a way easier path. You are not enough to begin this journey. Are you even sure that experience was real? Or you could use that God power to dominate everything. And the not God voice comes to us in our times of trouble as well. Give up, it says. Numb yourself. You could control everything if you just work harder, if you just try harder. You can fix this if you're good enough. The not God voice comes with tantalizing answers, certainty, and promises of power. The not God voice tells us that our creator has caused this calamity and that we are worthless and live at the whims of an angry God. 
Nadia Boltz Weber preached that temptation is always about identity, about who we are and whose we are. Identity is always God's first move. Before we do anything wrong, before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as God's own. But almost immediately, we find other things trying to tell us who we are and to whom we belong. Capitalism, our parents, social media, kids at school, people you work with. They all have a go at telling us who we are. But only God can do that, she says. Everything else is just temptation. Perhaps Jesus endures temptation by remembering that God has already called him beloved. Perhaps he endures the wilderness by remembering his identity by noticing the companions that he finds on the journey and the provision of a God who is with him in it. So Jesus is in the wilderness and he is companioned by the wild beasts. Perhaps this imagery connects to the garden of Adam living among the wild beasts of the land and the air and the sea. Mark doesn't craft an interesting tale where Jesus had to like figure out how to kill a scorpion or evade a deadly snake. Again, my nephew is so disappointed. All he wants are stories of Jesus with laser eyes, like smiting some people. But we don't get that here, right? What we know is Jesus was with the, with the beasts. Fully human, fully divine Jesus, creator with creation. In our own journeys into the wilderness, we might find comfort in the created world around us. That reoccurring question that can come up, are you there, God? Sometimes that wondering if God is silent can be answered as we engage in the wildness of creation. Perhaps the divine feels quiet in one way, but maybe speaking to you in others still, in the language of nature around us. Who have been our companions in the wilderness? Who are the people, the writers, the kind grandparent, the thoughtful neighbor? Who have been the people who have walked alongside you in your wilderness journeys? I was in a sort of wilderness experience the first time I visited Genesis, which feels like an eternity ago. But I was under more and more pressure to fall in line with the theological stance our denomination was taking and Acquiescing to that pressure was going to mean a way easier time finding placement in the church. My resume gets sent out to more places. It would just be a lot easier. But I couldn't ignore this theological shift that had taken place for me, and it was making life hard. I was losing job opportunities. I couldn't speak up about these things in the congregation I was at at the time. And I wondered where God was on this journey if I was being faithful to my calling and faithful to what I believed about God's inclusive love, why did I feel so alone? And my first Sunday visiting here, there was a changed lyric in one of the songs. The shift was from, I don't deserve it, instead to, you say I'm worth it. And it felt like in that moment, I get a little shivers even saying that, even though we don't really sing that song anymore. Um, I get shivers because I think the change from the idea that God would say that you don't deserve good things to God saying, you are created, my beloved child, was monumental. Suddenly, I didn't feel so alone. 
I wept through the rest of Eucharist because I had found companions for that wilderness that pressed in around me, other people who were making space for generosity and curiosity that I so desperately needed. And I'm so forever grateful for the way all of you create space for us to show up as we are, bringing whatever questions or fears or heresy or wild ideas (laughs) we have, because that companionship is life-changing, especially when we're in the wilderness. Which leads us into the care that Jesus gets when he is when he's in the wilderness. Mark 1.13 ends with, and the angels waited on him. Again, more questions. What does that look like? The wilderness stories in scripture tell of God's provision, manna for the Israelites, food and water for Hagar and Ishmael. I don't know what Jesus experienced as the angels waited on him, but I imagine the very things his human body needed for sustenance, along with words of comfort. Remember that you are God's beloved. Remember that you are not alone. Remember, remember, remember. Reverend Debbie Thomas writes, did the angels manifest as these winged creatures from the heavens or as comforting breezes across the sun-scorched hills as a trickle of water for his parched throat, as a wild animal that surprised him, as a rock to lay his head upon, or as the swirl of constellations on a clear and cloudless night. Jesus was provided for in the wilderness, and on days when I can believe it, I believe that we are provided for too. Where might God have shown up for you in your past wilderness experiences Where might God be showing up now in whatever wilderness you find yourself in? And it might not be in the ways you're expecting. Some days a crisp breeze is provision. Or a well-timed text from a friend. Or a faith community that welcomes and honors the questions and the honesty and the curiosity. Sometimes provision looks like the people beside you or the meal placed before you or the breath prayer on Instagram that meets your soul right where you needed it. Whatever we encounter in the wilderness ends up being reckoned with, wrestled with, perhaps even befriended. The new beginnings forged out of that, str- out of that struggle or that sparse time, sometimes that's just the tiniest flicker of a lightning bug. Sometimes it's the smallest sprout of a plant. In the wilderness, we might ask, can anything come from these dry bones? Can anything grow out of this thorny and rocky place I'm in? Where do we notice that we, like Jesus in our story today, are being held, are being ministered to, are being accompanied, are being provided for, I don't know what wilderness you have experienced or are currently or will. But this week's invitation is for you to pause and consider the thorny and rocky places you've been in. How you've experienced your companions in the wilderness and where you've noticed provision in the journey. And as you take time to pause and consider, I hope you might bring to mind these words. I'm borrowing from our Brother Richard Rohr, because I'm a good Genesis pastor, brought you (laughs) 
words from Richard Rohr today. So you can just close your eyes and listen to these words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Friends, this is how we survive the wilderness. We hold fast. We tether ourselves to the promise that you are God's beloved. We survive by noticing the landscape around us. Who's already there with us? Where are the small lights flickering in the darkness? Where are the strange and wonderful ways that God is showing up? So may we find comfort in Jesus' time in the wilderness, knowing again that he experienced a very real journey as we too share in that struggle in so many ways. May our own paths into the wilderness remind us that our identity is also as beloved children of the Creator, that we are companioned by all of creation and that provision is at hand, even when we survey a desolate landscape. And I'll leave you with this final set of words to carry with you when you find yourself in the wilderness, paraphrasing St. Patrick of Ireland. God beneath you, God in front of you, God behind you, God above you, God within you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.